You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. On Thursday the 10th of November 1994, a man called Gary Samuels frantically flagged down a passing car on the side of the Mississippi River. He was shaking and clearly wet. The brother and sister who were in the car stopped and asked him what was wrong. He went on to say that he and his wife had been driving when a car had run them off the road and their vehicle went headfirst into the nearby river, flipping and trapping them both inside. Officers arrived just after 9pm and Gary pointed them to the car, overturned and lying in the body of water. He said that his wife was still inside. He tried to pull her out and to safety, but she was unconscious and he couldn't pull her through the open window. He told them he'd thought there was no point in both of them dying, so he decided on saving himself and had been waiting by the side of the river ever since. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. Hi, I'm Annie from the US. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you're listening to your favourite international podcast. You just heard the promo for Red Rum, which is a fantastic podcast, so please go check it out. And it also reminds me that another aspect of the Lutz's Amity Wheel account kind of reminded me of The the Shining, and I was talking about the books when I mentioned the release Mm -hmm. dates. The Red Room makes me think of Red Rum. Yep, a little bit. It's very, very possible that that's where they got that idea. We looked into it and Amityville Horror came out over nine months after The Shining came out. The books. The books. So mm. it's definitely possible that it was part of Jay Anson's inspiration when he was writing Amityville Horror. Who can see? Who can say? Ooh, I should warn you, I am at the beach. By the time this comes out, I will be on my way home from the beach. But right now, I'm at the beach with my nieces, having the best time. If you hear anything in the background, you can hear kind of children screaming and seagulls crying, which sometimes sound similar to each other. Don't worry. It's not a problem. I'm at the beach. There's a lot of screaming. (laughs) Hopefully, you won't hear anything. All right. Thank you so much for joining yet another episode of this little podcast of ours. And in case you're new here, we are two online friends living on two continents separated by the Atlantic Ocean who never met in real life. And we just hit our 200th episode three weeks ago. So to everyone who's been here since the beginning, heads off to you. You probably heard my voice more often than my own husband at that point. (laughs) Paul wishes I could say the same. (laughs) We'd also love to give a big shout out to our newest Patreon members, and they are Cindy Skipper. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks to Amanda McKeough. Thank you very much. To Jamie Burnett, Chris McDonald Dennis. Thank you very much. Thank you to Spooky Penguin, who I think is in Australia, which means it's it's Spooky Penguin wintertime, so mm-hmm. nice and cool there, I hope. Maybe not, depending on what part of Australia you live in. And thank you also very much to Cindy Peak. We appreciate you all very, very much. Thank you so much. We have good news. We won't pester you with voting for us in the podcast awards today anymore. <laughs> First round is down. Now we're waiting for a slate announcement to see if we made it into the finals for some of the categories. And in case you tick the little box, which I hope you all did, 
the emails uh, that will tell you if you can vote in the finals should start arriving next week, I think. I think they should start arrive, uh, arriving around 7th of August, something like that. Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. All right. Now let's get into today's episode. We've had some heavy hitters in the last seven weeks. We had first two two-parters. That's the very sad murder of Oceana Sneed and the horrifying serial killer in Austin, Texas. And then, of course, our 200th episode, the Amityville Horror, which was a three-parter. A lot of murder. A lot of horrible, sad, devastating murder. So yeah. honestly, we need a little palate cleanser to lift our mood. And we think most of you will agree. It's time to talk more about one of the best things on this planet, pets. We talked about some of the good boys and girls out there in our episode 188, Fresh Hell Pet Hall of Fame. That's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, dog edition. <laughs> now, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you will already know that we are dog people. I mean, we love all animals, but we do share our homes and lives with dogs. But today, it's time for the second spot on the most beloved pet list worldwide, and that's cats. Cats. It actually came as a surprise. I would have thought that cats would have a slight upper hand when it came to the top 10, because they're a little bit more, you know, low maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I was wrong. They are on two, but not by much. Yeah, I've always been very, very allergic to cats. Unfortunately, I would love to have a cat and a dog. But I just can't really breathe around rabbits or cats, but maybe that'll change one day. As we did with dogs and pretty much all of our episodes, we want to just give you a brief history of the feline-human relationship. Now, if you listen to our dogs episode, then you might remember that dogs were the first animal to be domesticated, well before livestock even. But what about cats? When and where did they come into our lives? Cats have been intertwined with human history for thousands of years. Their presence in various cultures, from ancient civilizations to modern societies, reveals a fascinating tale of how these once wild hunters became cherished companions to humans worldwide. The history of cats spans across continents and time, capturing the essence of their evolution and significance in human civilization. To learn more about the beginnings of these most mysterious and enigmatic creatures, you have to follow us to Africa. Let's start by talking about their origins and domestication. The domestic cat, Felis catus, traces its origins back to the African wildcat, Felis sylvestris libica. I wonder if the sylvestris was where Looney Tunes got the name of Sylvester, the cat from, from Sylvester and Tweety Bird? Maybe not. Anyhow, the evidence suggests that the first wildcats entered the human sphere approximately 10,000 years ago in the Fertile Crescent the region encompassing modern-day Egypt, Iraq, and parts of Iran. Mesopotamia, back in the day, right? So, as humans transitioned from nomadic to settled lifestyles and began cultivating crops, they unintentionally attracted rodents. Who doesn't? Am I right? So, in turn, though, more mice means more cats, because, of course, they want the mice. And now they're remaining in closer proximity than usual to human settlements. Over time, these wildcats started to benefit from the readily available food sources and the relative safety provided by human habitats. The proximity marked the beginning of a symbiotic relationship between humans and cats, with cats naturally controlling rodent populations, thus helping to protect food stores from destruction. It makes sense, right? Cats are smart and did what wolves did. They saw an opportunity for easier access to resources. 
But other than dogs, cats made humans basically their subordinates. And we mean that quite literally, because humans started to worship cats pretty early on. As agriculture and civilizations flourished, cats became integral to various ancient societies. In ancient Egypt, cats held a sacred status and were deeply intertwined with religious beliefs. Bastet, the feline goddess, was worshipped as the protector of home and family. Killing a cat, even accidentally, was a grave offense punishable by death. Egyptians revered cats for their hunting prowess and believed they possessed divine qualities. Domesticated cats were often depicted in paintings and sculptures showcasing their revered status in ancient Egyptian culture. Cats' association with humans did not remain confined to Egypt alone. It was only a matter of time before cats went for global dominance and total submission of mankind. As trade routes expanded, cats journeyed across continents. Phoenician traders introduced cats to Europe, while explorers and travelers carried them to other parts of the world. In the ancient Roman Empire, cats served practical roles as rodent hunters on farms and on ships. Everything was fine and dandy for those divine creatures until... Well, until that time and place in history that unfortunately got a lot of things wrong. Medieval Europe. All of a sudden, the association of cats with witchcraft and superstition arose, leading to periodic mass killing of cats during the Middle Ages, which inadvertently contributed to a rise in the rat population, and we all know what happened next. Yep, the plague. Killing millions and millions of people. And listen, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've mentioned the plague several times already and how it came in waves pretty much since antiquity. But as we're talking about cats, we really need to highlight one of the theories of why the rodent population skyrocketed in medieval times. Because really, it is just a theory, even though it would be a cool argument for cats indeed being divine, and therefore what happened with the plague was some sort of heavenly punishment. Who can say? It could be. I'd also argue that cats in medieval times were probably full of fleas themselves, just like the rodents, and we all know that flea bites were actually the cause for the disease to be transmitted, so I don't know how much of an impact the presence or absence of cats would have actually made. I think it's all debatable. However, there have been stories floating around stating that Pope Gregory IX ordered Catholics to eliminate cats in a papal degree, the so-called Vox in Rama. In it, the Pope talks about Satan-worshipping and God-denouncing sects in Germany, information that was brought to him by one of his inquisitors named Konrad von Magdeburg. I mean, if you can't trust an inquisitor, who can you trust? <laughs> Am I right? Cats were not the only animals that were brought in connection with evil sects and the devil. Toads also got it bad. Aww. So this is a quote from the Vox in Rama, quote, The following rites of this sect are carried out. When any novice is to be received among them and enters the sect of the damned for the first time, the shape of a certain frog or toad appears to him. Some kiss this creature on the hindquarters and some on the mouth. They receive the tongue and saliva <laughs> of the beast inside their mouth. Nope. Sometimes it appears unduly large and sometimes equivalent to a goose or a duck. And sometimes it even assumes the size of an oven. At length, when the novice has come forward, he is met by a man of wondrous pallor who has black eyes and is so emaciated and thin that since his flesh has been wasted, seems to have remaining only skin drawn over his bone. 
The novice kisses him and feels cold like ice, and after the kiss the memory of the Catholic faith totally disappears from his heart. Afterwards they sit down to a meal, and when they have arisen from it, the certain statue, which is usual in a sect of this kind, a black cat, descends backwards, with its tail erect. First the novice, next the master, then each one of the order who are worthy and perfect kiss the cat on its buttocks. <laughs> Then each returns to his place, and speaking certain responses, they incline their heads towards the cat. Forgive us, says the master, and the one next to him repeats this. A third responding says, we know, master. A fourth says, and we must obey. End quote. Mm-hmm. That's not how any of this works. So, apparently there is no direct, all cats need to die in the scripture, so I don't think the claim Pope Gregory IX really condemned all cats and wanted them dead is true. But what is definitely true is that cats got a rather bad reputation in medieval times because of them being associated with Satan and, and sex and bad luck and evilness in general. And a lot of cruel things happened to them on larger scale in different regions in Europe, but we honestly don't want to get into all of that. No. But we will come back to the symbolism of black cats a little bit more in the end of this episode, because now it's time to move on with the history of cats. That's right. So it sounds like my neighbors on the other side might be weed whacking, so I'm now concerned there's a weed whacker element in the mix that hadn't previously been there, but fingers crossed. So things calmed down for cats during the Renaissance. That's when cats began to be valued more for their companionship than solely for their utility in pest control. Artists like Leonardo da Vinci and Albrecht Dürer featured cats in their works, further popularizing them. Let's move away from Europe for a while and look at the other continents. Cats in Asian culture also assumed diverse roles. In Japan, cats became popular symbols of good fortune and prosperity. The, quote, Manikiniko, or beckoning cat, a common Japanese figurine with an upraised paw, is believed to bring luck to its owner. I think by now most people know the figure of the little cat waving good luck to you in your home or business. I love them. And how about the Americas? As European explorers set sail for the New World, they carried cats on board to control rats and mice during their oceanic journeys. Cats eventually spread throughout the Americas and adapted to various environments. In the colonies, they continued to play essential roles as vermin hunters. The 19th and 20th centuries saw significant changes in the perception of cats. The Victorian era in England saw a revival of interest in ancient Egyptian culture, as we talked about at length in our episode about Tutankhamun. And as Egyptian culture was so en vogue at the time, people started to be absolutely fascinated by all things feline as well. Cat shows and selective breeding gained popularity resulting in the emergence of various cat breeds, such as the Angora, the Persian, the British Blue, the Chartreux, and the Siamese, which were some of the most popular at that time. The 20th century marked the rise of the cat as a beloved household pet. Advances in veterinary medicine, the development of commercial cat food, and improved living conditions contributed to cats transitioning from working animals to cherished companions. Also, the spread of cat imagery and stories became more widespread. One such famous work is, quote, The Cat in the Hat, a children's book by Dr. Seuss, which helped cement the image of cats as playful and mischievous creatures in modern popular culture. Dr. Seuss, a.k.a. Theodore Seuss Geisel, is from Springfield, Massachusetts, which is where my parents are from, and 
where I grew up. My aunt and uncle lived there till just recently. But fun fact, he once got, this is just a fun fact for trivia, Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geisel, uh, once got busted with some friends drinking gin in a room while he was doing undergrad work at the very prestigious Dartmouth University. And this happened during Prohibition. So it wasn't just that they got caught drinking on campus, like that it was breaking the law, mm. really breaking. It would be like getting caught doing, you know, narcotics or something. And for punishment, it was that he wasn't able to participate in any of his extracurricular activities. And so in order to keep working on the school paper, he had to assign a pseudonym to sign all of his pieces on the paper with, and his pseudonym was Seuss, and that's how he got the name Dr. Seuss. I'd also argue that the internet has played a pivotal role in the cat's popularity, because we now have countless viral cat videos and memes circulating, creating a global fascination with these charming, charming creatures. Yeah, I still remember this very weird face where all these cat memes were shared that said something like, Kenna has cheeseburger. Oh. And I never understood that meme, to be honest. I, I never found it funny, but I enjoyed looking at the, at the cute cats that accompanied the words. It's the Viking kittens for me. That's what I just immediately remember, are the, the Viking kittens lip-syncing to Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> They're just all angry. Listen, guys. <laughs> of course, there's so much more interesting stuff when it comes to the thousands of years of cat history, but we promised you a pretty basic overview. We need to keep going. Exactly. One of the cats in history I want to quickly mention is one that we don't know the name of, nor do we know how the cat looked. But we do know that it was displaying typical cat behavior. Many of the cat owners and animal friends may already know the photo of the medieval manuscript with cat paw prints all over it. And here we have a quote from a Smithsonian article for those who don't know what we're talking about or who know the photo and want to know more, called, Centuries ago, a cat walked across this medieval manuscript. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's by Rachel Neuer. Uh, and it was published in March 12th, 2013. And Rachel writes, quote, While pawing through a stack of medieval manuscripts from Dubrovnik, Croatia, University of Sarajevo doctoral student Amir O. Filipovic stumbled upon a familiar set of splotches marring the centuries-old pages. Years ago, a mischievous kitty had left her ink-covered prints on the book. Filipovic explains the finding, quote, My storyline follows a simple path. I was doing some research in the Dubrovnik State Archives for my PhD. I came across some pages which were stained with cat paw prints. I took a few photos of this, as I do whenever I notice something interesting or unusual on any old book I'm reading, and carried on with my work, not paying too much attention to something at that time could essentially be only a distraction. I hear ya. Thanks to the frenzy of Twitter and blog coverage, a French historian picked up on the photo and decided to include it in her interactive album of medieval paleography so that other historians can utilize the unique finding, which gives insight into daily life in 14th century Dubrovnik. The photo of the cat paw print represents one such situation which forces the historian to take his eyes from the text for a moment and pause and to recreate in his mind the incident when a cat, presumably owned by the scribe, pounced first on the ink container and then on the book, branding it for the ensuing centuries. You can almost picture the writer shooing the cat in a panicky fashion 
while trying to remove it from his desk. Despite his best efforts, the damage was already complete and there was nothing else he could have done but turn a new leaf and continue his job. In that way, this little episode was archived in history. End quote. That's great. I think all cat owners know this yes. kind of thing. Yes. All right, now it's time to talk about a cat that we actually do know the name of and who is the only cat to ever earn the highest order for animal bravery in battle by the British military, the Dickin Award. The Dickin Medal, also known as the Animal Victoria Cross, is a prestigious award given to animals for the exceptional acts of bravery and devotion in times of war or in saving human lives. It was established in 1943 by Maria Dickin, the founder of the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, PDSA, a British veterinary charity. The award was named after her and has since become one of the highest honors that can be bestowed upon animals for the extraordinary acts of heroism. It was created to recognize the courage and sacrifice of animals who serve alongside humans during times of conflict and in other dangerous situations and is a way to highlight the crucial roles animals play in supporting the military, police, and other emergency services, as well as in various humanitarian efforts. The award consists of a bronze medal, which is inscribed with the words for gallantry, and we also serve. I think that's so nice. So nice. Along with the animal's name and the date of the act of heroism, the medal is attached to a ribbon, and the animal's name is usually inscribed on the medal in Morse code. Now, when you look at the recipients of the medal, you'll see the first animal to receive it was a pigeon named White Vision. The pigeon received the award on 2nd of December 1943 because it flew for nine hours in very bad weather, strong headwinds and, and bad visibility, to deliver a message that led to the rescue of a ditched aircrew. The most recent recipient was a dog named Bess on 24th of January 2023, so that was rather recently, and he earned the award for life-saving actions during his deployment in Afghanistan in 2019. Now, if you remember our dog episode, then you might remember the angel from a foxhole, the tiny Yorkshire terrier Smokey, and how she saved so many US soldiers during World War II and continued to entertain wounded soldiers and veterans afterwards, and how she was kind of one of the first therapy dogs. Smokey forever. Well, in the midst of harrowing battles and tragic loss of life, it wasn't only dogs and pigeons who showed unbelievable bravery and heroism, but also a cat and his name was Simon. This ship cat became an unlikely hero after the war, Simon's journey from a scruffy stray to a beloved companion and mascot of the British Royal Navy's HMS Amethyst is a prime example of the enduring bond between humans and animals, especially in times of adversity. So let's talk a little bit about the life of Simon, the ship's cat, starting with his beginnings as a stray on the streets of Hong Kong. So his story begins in March of 1948 in the dockyards of Hong Kong, where he was found by a 17-year-old sailor named George Hickenbottom. He was working on the British Royal Navy sloop HMS Amethyst in the rank of an ordinary seaman. The ship was stationed in a bustling city at the time, ultimately tasked with patrolling the Yangtze River during the Chinese Civil War. The Chinese Civil War was an ongoing conflict that had started in 1927 and was a struggle for power between two major Chinese political and military forces, on one side the Chinese Nationalist Party, uh, the KMT, and on the other side the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. The Civil War ultimately resulted in the victory of the CCP, leading to the establishment of the People's Republic of China in 1949. 
17-year-old George finds this malnourished, scrawny, black-and-white tomcat, and he thinks that a cat is just what's needed on the HMS Amethyst. And we mentioned before that many ships throughout history had so-called ship cats who were considered a mascot for the crew, a bearer of good luck for the ship's travels, and of course, they also came in pretty handy when it came to rats and mice on ships. So he takes this roughly one-year-old cat with him on the ship. The ship's crew saw Simon and they were immediately happy to take him in and feed him. We can only assume that as a stray cat, Simon had likely faced numerous challenges on the streets, but he adapted quickly to his new home on the ship and he could prove what a successful hunter he was. Soon enough, the sailors grew very fond of him, even though he was known to leave dead mice and rats in the crew's beds. His playful antics and affectionate nature provided a much-needed moral boost amidst all the challenges and dangers they basically faced daily. Oh, yeah. The captain of the ship, uh, Lieutenant Commander Bernhard Skinner, was very fond of Simon, and so the cat mostly slept in the captain's cabin, I think often in his, in his uh, hat or cap. <laughs> the life on board of the HMS Amethyst was far from easy. The crew faced the constant threat of enemy attacks and the conditions on the ship were often cramped and challenging. And in such a hostile environment, Simon's presence brought a sense of comfort and camaraderie, and he provided companionship to sailors, offering a moment of respite from the harsh realities of war. I think that was really much needed there. So important. In April of 1949, tragedy struck when the HMS Amethyst found itself caught in a very dangerous situation known as the Yangtze Incident. While on its way from Shanghai to Nanjing to replace another ship, the HMS Amethyst came under heavy fire from Chinese communist forces. The ship was ambushed, and the crew found themselves in a treacherous situation, facing relentless attacks and running dangerously low on supplies. And now I have to warn you, it's getting a little bit sad. This is from an article from Time.com titled The Surprising Story of the Only Cat Ever to Win the Highest Honor for Animal Military Gallantry. Uh, and it was written by Robin Hutton, and it was published on 18th of September 2018. Quote, In April 1949, the Amethyst was ordered to sail up the Yangtze River from Shanghai to Nanjing, then relieve the HMS consort of her duties. China was in the midst of a bloody civil war between the communist insurgents of Mao Zedong's People's Liberation Army and the ruling Nationalist Party of Chiang Kai-shek and the consort was long overdue for relief, having guarded the British embassy for some time in case Mao's army took the city and forced an embassy evacuation. A ceasefire agreement between the two sides was due to expire at midnight on April 21st, with the communists demanding that the nationalists agree to their terms or else fighting would resume. Mao's PLA held the Yangtze's north side and the nationalists controlled the south bank. Because Britain had not taken a side in the Chinese conflict, no trouble was expected and British officials believed the amethyst could reach Nanjing before the ceasefire ended. But on the morning of April 20th, the amethyst was still about 60 miles from the city when communist fire resumed from the north shore. Explosions rocked the ship with the bridge, wheelhouse and low power room hit first. In all, the ship sustained more than 50 hits. 19 men, including its captain, were killed in the April 20th attack. 27 more were wounded. Eventually, the Amethyst took shelter in a creek a little way upstream. Negotiations with the communists soon began for the release of the stricken, cornered Amethyst and its crew. Where was Simon during that chaos and carnage? No one knows for sure, but when the shelling began, he likely was in the captain's cabin, curled up in his cap. 
A Chinese shell blasted a huge hole in the nearby bulkhead and four shards of shrapnel hit the defenseless cat in the back and legs as he bolted or was thrown by force of the explosion. Simon's face was also burned and his whiskers and eyebrows singed. The stunned cat apparently crawled into a corner out of the way and passed out. End quote. Aww, baby. Apparently Simon was missing for quite a while, possibly several days and nobody could find him. And finally, after possibly several days, Simon staggered on deck and he was really in a bad shape. He had been hit by several shrapnels and he was severely burned and dehydrated. And in case you wonder how that could have taken several days for Simon to show up, uh, so the Yangtze incident, or also called the Amethyst incident, lasted from, and now hold on to your seat, 20th of April to 30th of July, 1949. So this ship was stuck in that position for weeks, months. So Simon is in a lot of pain and he gets taken to the sick bay, where one of the doctors immediately starts to remove the shrapnels and dress the wounds, but nobody thinks that the cat will actually survive the next couple of days. And you have to remember that this ship is kind of still under attack and the men are wounded and Still, they try to help this cat who they don't even think will survive, and that's how much they valued Simon as one of their crew members, basically. So they stitch up Simon, but it doesn't look good. Besides his obvious injuries, he also suffers from a weakened heart, and they think that his hearing might be permanently damaged because of the loud explosions right next to him. But a miracle. Simon survives and he regains his strength. So remember the captain died, he was killed in the attack, and the new captain is pretty meh about the cat. Apparently he's not a huge Simon fan. And so the doctor thinks it's best if Simon stays with him in the sick bay and, and under deck. And that's where his true heroism became evident as the siege of the HMS Amethyst dragged on. With the crew suffering from food shortages and disease, Simon's rat-catching skills proved to be invaluable. The presence of rats on board had been a constant threat to the ship's limited food supplies, and Simon's ability to catch and kill them helped sustain the crew during the long ordeal. Yeah. Additionally, Simon brought some relief to the wounded sailors who were recovering under deck. The cat's friendly and comforting demeanor brought a much-needed sense of normalcy to an otherwise very chaotic and dangerous environment. The camaraderie and the bond between the sailors and their feline friends helped them cope with the stress and trauma of war fostering a sense of unity and strength among the crew. Finally, after weeks, the harrowing ordeal is over and the HMS Amethyst manages to break free from the same article. Quote, Between the standoff in talks and the ship's dangerously low fuel supplies, the captain was increasingly fearful, and his solution was old-fashioned and simple. Make a run for it. <laughs> On the moonless night of July 30th, with the merchant vessel Qiangling Liberation, passing the HMS Amethyst and heading down the river around 10pm, he seized the moment and dared to attempt a 104-mile run to the open sea under cover of darkness. The enemy's response from shore was less aggressive than expected. Luck certainly seemed to be with the crew of the Amethyst that hot summer night. Almost five hours later, the ship rendezvoused with the HMS Concord partway up the Yangpu River south of Wusong and was escorted the rest of the way. The captain sent a message. Have rejoined the fleet south of Wusung. No damage or casualties. God save the king. After being held hostage for 101 days, the cruise ordeal was over and the Amethyst was cruising to Hong Kong. End quote. 
Okay, so they arrive safely in Hong Kong, and after maintenance and stocking up on provision, the ship is sent back to England. And upon the ship's arrival in Plymouth on 1st of November 1949, Simon was welcomed as a hero by the British public, who had already heard all about the brave cat. News of his courageous acts spread quickly, and he became a symbol of bravery and hope during challenging times. People sent so much fan mail and presents, basically 200 letters a day, cat food and cat toys to Simon, that they had to assign a cat officer. Lieutenant Stuart Hatt was now in charge of Simon's mail. So he had his own personal cat assistant, if Aww. you will. The People's Dispensary for Sick Animals that we mentioned before, the British veterinary charity, recognized Simon's extraordinary service and awarded him the prestigious Dickin Medal in May of 1949. Sadly, I have to tell you that Simon would not live to receive the medal himself. Quoting the same article as before, quote, Two weeks before the presentation, Simon fell ill with a virus. He received treatment, including injections for a high fever and acute enteritis. But his war wounds had seriously weakened Simon's heart. Simon passed away on November 28th, having crammed a lot of living into his two short years. As one tribute put it, quote, the spirit of Simon slipped quietly away to sea. This is so sad. Mm. End quote. Some said he died of a broken heart, that he missed his life aboard ship and the man he loved so much. Sorry. Mm. The crew were heartbroken. Cards and letters arrived at the quarantine shelter by the truckload. On its obituary page, Time magazine featured Simon's picture beneath a simple headline, In Honored Memory. End quote. He was a really good boy. <sighs> really good boy. So Simon's legacy lives on through the countless stories and tributes dedicated to his memory, and his tale has inspired books and documentaries and works of art, and it's keeping his courageous spirit alive for future generations to admire and appreciate. And Simon the ship's cat remains an extraordinary symbol of courage, companionship, and resilience during wartime and his unwavering dedication to the crew of the HMS Amethyst and his invaluable contributions in the face of danger and hardship exemplified the enduring bond between humans and animals. So Simon's story basically serves as a reminder that heroism and bravery can be found in unexpected places and that even the smallest and most unlikely creatures can have profound impact on history. He was amazing. All right, I want to talk about another cat. I think right now we're in the clear. We just had a situation with people trimming hedges, which freaked all the birds out. So then I had hedges on one side, birds on the other. I'm going to have <laughs> kids coming back from the beach at any time. So if I say, Johanna, why don't you take it from here? It's because it's getting intolerably loud here, and I'd rather you have a nice listening experience for the end of this episode. And then I'll come back in the end to say goodbye when it doesn't matter if there's background noise. Okay, here we go. So, let's talk about this cat that got famous during World War II, and who was also sort of a double agent, because he started out on a German battleship and ended World War II as a British ship's mascot. And I'm talking, of course, about the unsinkable Sam. His story begins in 1941, when he was found by the crew of the German battleship Bismarck as a stray cat in Gibraltar, and they initially named him Oscar. The Bismarck was one of the most powerful warships of its time, and was involved in several significant naval engagements. Oscar quickly became a mascot for the crew, providing companionship and a sense of normalcy in the tense and often dangerous environment of war. 
In May of 1941, the Bismarck engaged in a battle with British naval forces. Ultimately, the Bismarck sank, and only 118 out of 2,200 crew members would survive. Hours after the Bismarck had gone under, Oscar was found clinging to a piece of debris and was rescued by British sailors. The Bismarck's sinking marked Oscar's first miraculous escape from disaster. Oscar's next adventure occurred when he was transferred to the HMS Cossack, a so-called tribal-class destroyer of the British Navy. For those of you who don't know, like us, what a tribal-class destroyer was, we were like, hang on. <laughs> I do didn't you know? know, did you? No, I did not. I didn't. <laughs> My dad would know. My dad would absolutely know. I didn't know. So it's also referred to as the Afridi class, and it's a class of destroyers commissioned by the Royal Navy, Royal Canadian Navy, and Royal Australian Navy, which played vital roles during World War II. Initially planned to be a light fleet cruiser, the Tribals underwent a transformation emerging as a fast and powerful destroyer, placing an emphasis on firepower through their guns and less through torpedoes. So these are really powerful, prestigious battleships, and now Oscar is on one of them. So at first the ship is patrolling in the Mediterranean, but in October of 1941, the HMS Cossack is sent from Gibraltar to the UK to escort a naval convoy when the ship was hit by a single torpedo fired by a German submarine, resulting in the sinking of the ship. Once again, Oscar survived, floating on a piece of wood until he was rescued by a crew of the HMS Legion, a British destroyer. They now name him Sam and call him the Unsinkable Sam. Next, Sam was adopted by one of the crew of the HMS Ark Royal, which is kind of ironic, to be honest, because the Ark Royal had played a crucial role in the sinking of the Bismarck, so he didn't hold any grudges. He knows how to let go, <laughs> Sam. He shall have his revenge. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> uh, the cat was a German spy. He was a German saboteur. spy. So the HMS Ark Royal managed to escape several close calls and earn a notable reputation as a quote-unquote lucky ship, even though German newspapers kept reporting that the Ark Royal had been <laughs> sunk several times. All of those claims were false. So, this is a great place for Sam. After surviving two ship fatalities, shipwrecks with fatalities, he really needs to be on a lucky ship now. Like, he's, he's paid his dues time <laughs> after time. So, fate took a different turn, and Sam, formerly Oscar, would in fact face his third and final shipwreck <laughs> on board the Ark Royal. In November 1941, while returning from Malta, the aircraft carrier was torpedoed by a German submarine, and though the ship eventually sank, Oscar was once again found alive and well among the debris. He was actually <laughs> described, this is the best part, he was actually That's described so as, quote, angry, but quite unharmed. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> I mean, I can understand. Oh, so angry. He's all wet. Oh, he's so mad. Oh, when he was found once more clinging to a piece of board floating in the water. I really, we think this cat had had it, right? So he's yeah, ready to resign. Just... He's ready to retire. And retire he should. And so ultimately he was sent to Belfast, where he would live the rest of his days in a home for sailors, if you trust some sources. Others say in the home of a British sailor, but either way, it's a win. 
and we just hope he had the most wonderful life and never had to set paw on another ship, because that was too many shipwrecks. Too many shipwrecks. Sam sadly died in 1955 in Belfast. Even though his story has captured the imagine of people around the world, there are some who say that the story of unsinkable Sam is humbug. Yeah, they say it's nothing but what's called Seemannsgarn in German, so fantastic stories told by seamen over a glass of whiskey or rum. Mm, I think he was real. You don't think he was fake, do you? No, no, no. I believe in Sam. <laughs> I believe in Sam. I believe in Sam. Uh, Clap your hands if you believe in Sam. Just one thing. Everyone's clapping, like in weird places. Guy in the subway's like, what are you? Anyway. <laughs> Just one thing. As far as I know, there exists no verified photo of the unsinkable Sam. Often you will see a photo of a black and white cat claiming to be Sam. I mean, the photo claims, not the cat is claiming to be Sam. Sam was like, listen, it's me. <laughs> when you take a closer look at the color the cat is wearing, you might be able to read the word amethyst on the tag, because that's actually a photo of Simon. Mm. So you see, cats are just as brave and courageous as dogs, and they are absolutely capable of forming a close bond with their humans. I have to say something. Uh, I have to speak from my heart now. <laughs> In the beginning of our podcast, I once said, you know, say hi to your dogs. Uh, don't say hi to your cats because they don't care. Something like that. I don't remember my exact words. We got a couple of comments by cat owners. They were a little bit sad. They were sad that I said that. Yeah. Um, because they informed me that cats do, in fact, care just as much. And of course they do. They just show it differently sometimes. I talked to a friend of mine the other day who told me that her cat is the sweetest, most caring girl ever. She knows exactly when someone feels bad and then tries to comfort them. Or when my friend leaves the apartment uh, to go shopping or to go to work, for example, the cat waits right there by the door for her return. Or my sister's cat, uh, when my sister comes home from the grocery store, she wants to be picked up, like she really gets on her <laughs> uh, behind legs and, and, and stretches Stretches. her front legs yeah. in the air, and she wants to get picked up and, you know, carried around like a little toddler. I love that. For hours and hours while my sister is doing household chores. <laughs> uh, my grandmother had a cat who would wait every day in the exact same location on the main street in the little village where my grandmother used to live, uh, she was coming from work on her on her moped, uh, and the cat would wait for her. And then, when my grandmother came, she would accompany her home those last meters. So, cats might show their affection sometimes differently than dogs. They are maybe a little bit more meh and aloof and uh, blasé and independent, but they are also awesome and loving and caring pets. And we hope this episode could help to fight some of the prejudice against cats. Also, please, that's also something that's very important to me. The crazy cat lady jokes are getting a bit out of hand, and I don't even have time now to get into all the misogynistic undertones of that trope. So yeah, cats are awesome. Of course they are. Why else would there have been so many cat lovers throughout history, like Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln, the Bronte sisters, Louisa May Alcott, Freddie Mercury, nice, Mark Twain, just to name a few. <laughs> And we mentioned it before, cats get a bad rep, especially black ones as omens. Do you have that in Austria too? Yeah, here it depends from which side the black cat is crossing your path. Uh, left to right, bad luck. Right to left, good luck. Ah. Close to where I live, there is uh, like a bridge over a street. And on it is a big shape of a black cat installed crossing from one side to the other. Why? <laughs> well, it's the so-called Kellerkatze. 
Uh, you know, where I live, it's the wine region and the cellar cat is somewhat of a symbol here. Uh, okay. In reality, I think the, the Kellerkatze is actually a fungus that grows in the wine cellars. Anyway, so you drive under that bridge and depending of where you're coming from, the cat is either crossing from left or from the right side. And I always find that funny. So good luck or bad luck. Yeah. Nice. I like that. That's good. That's really fun. It's when you're leaving, I think it's the bad luck. And when you're coming into it's town, good luck. it's the good luck. That makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Nice. Good one. All right. We also want to mention that, you know, black animals have a really bad rep. They're not adopted as easily. They're not picked out as often. They don't photograph as well. I have a black dog. I know. That's partly why we wanted a black dog. We're searching for a a rescue sibling for Opus and looking for another black dog. I love black dogs. I wear a lot of dark colors. So beautiful. So, you know... But I also love black cats. I think I they're love so black like cats. Like little panthers. Yes. They're my favorite. I think they're beautiful. Mm. And their eyes. The most beautiful part of a cat, I think, are its eyes. And mm. a black cat, just it's like those eyes are so perfectly framed. Yeah. So perfectly framed. But I really like cats. I would love a big cat, like a Maine Coon or a Norwegian Forest cat. Something solid. And I really, can I just mm. make one real serious recommendation to anyone thinking about getting a cat? Your local shelter will have lots of of adult cats. Cats have a pretty good lifespan. So if you adopt an adult cat who's two, three, four, five, six, seven years old, you're going to still have a really long time with that cat. And also, they're going to know what kind of cat it is. Do you want a cat that's going to want to sit on your lap all the time and snuggle and be on you? Or do you prefer a cat that's a little bit more aloof? Because if you go for a slightly older cat, that's a great way to find out, you know, they'll know. Whereas with a kitten, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. It could be a really needy, really, really needy snuggle monkey. It could want just nothing to do with you. And that's also okay. You know, I'm not cat shaming, but there can be a pretty wide range of difference in cat personality. So think about maybe not getting, people always want kittens. Look at, look at some of the slightly older kitties, please. It's a kitten fever, just like puppy fever. I know, I know. All right. Something good? We hope you enjoyed this kitty cat episode. Yes, my something good is I have been having so much fun with my nieces visiting. I had uh, my eldest niece out and we went to Provincetown for the day. Also, shout out to Abby at Buddha Bob's in Eastham, which is a stop on your way into Provincetown. It's been one of my sister's favorite places for ages, but I finally, finally went, and now I'm obsessed and going to go back. Nobody's paid me any of <laughs> No one's paying us for these. These are just legit suggestions of things you should go check out. I'm having so much fun with these girls. They're so, yeah, I need to get everyone in the shower so we can go out for my dad's birthday. Today is my dad's 80th birthday. That is my other Happy birthday. something good. And he's dead. Happy birthday, dad. How about you? My something good is that, I don't know, I think I told you that I hurt my ankle. I mean, I told you, but I don't know. I think I mentioned on the podcast as well, like two months ago, end of May, Yeah, I fell down the steps uh, in our garden and I really hurt my ankle. And finally, finally now, it's it's healed. Yes. And I can get back to moving and running properly again. So that's my something good for this week. That's amazing. That really is something good. Good, good, good. Should we end it here? Yeah. Let's end it here. 
I need to get some kids into the shower for dinner. They're still in their mermaid tails. We're going to end it here. You know the deal. <laughs> I have to get them out you of know. their mermaid tails. Uh, we don't have to ask you for voting. Anyway, listen to all the other episodes and you hear what we have to say usually in the, in the end. Please tell all your cats we said hi. We know they care a lot. And be kind to them. Be kind to all the animals. Be kind to humans as well. Be mm -hmm. kind to yourself. And that's the hardest part of it all. It's the hardest. It's the worst. Listen, if you're going through hell, take a little nap and then when you're rested enough, keep going. Tschüss. Bye.